Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and bring those out. Uh, make your way to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 19 here in a moment. Uh, we're continuing our series, as you can see more clearly now. Tell me the story of Jesus. Uh, I want to just say thank you. I know it's already been said, but Jackson, Darren, Joe, and I guess Jason. <laughs> uh, to help out with the projector and the speakers and all that stuff. And, uh, um, but anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we're in the series, Tell Me a Story of Jesus. In the last several months, we've been walking through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the beginning of chapter 6, where Jesus focuses on three spiritual disciplines of the Jewish people and three spiritual disciplines that we are expected to continue to have in giving to the needy, in praying, and in fasting. And I don't want to uh, ask if anybody did their homework from last week in fasting from something, but uh, you and God can uh, take that matter up if, if, if you need to. But we're going to turn our attention this morning to uh, what Jesus begins delivering as warnings. Uh, and there's several of them in chapter 6 and leading into chapter 7, and they all begin with do not, as you can see there in verse 19. The remaining of chapter 6 is actually divided into two sets of warnings. A warning about do not seek or serve possessions, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And then the second warning about do not worry about possessions, and we'll look at that next week. But these are warning signs for us. This last week, some of you all may know if we're friends on Facebook or whatever, but if we're not, we can be later. Um, but this last week, we, uh, the Urchin family went up to St. Louis as a little family mini vacation, a little getaway. Uh, Jamie had a doctor appointment up there. So we just took the kids and went up and did a bunch of different things. A great time, great food. Um, a lot of free things you can do up there, but, um, you know, when we travel, a lot of us know this, when we travel, particularly in long distances on major highways and interstates, you're always going to run into road construction, and we did that numerous times. If you've ever been to St. Louis, you know that always seem to be working on something up there, but uh, we were coming home, had a great, great time away, great family time, and we're coming down I-44, and we come up over a hill, and I can see in the distance there's some of those uh, orange diamond-shaped signs, which are giving warnings about something that's, that's coming. And I also noticed uh, on up the road that cars were beginning to get into the left lane. And so my experience in driving told me that there must be something going on in the right lane, and so I need to get into the left lane and merge before I get up into the traffic area. And so um, we did that, and, you know, it said road construction in two miles. Of course, we drove for a mile, and we hit the, the traffic that's backed up. And um, it was in this moment that... God remind me of a pet peeve that maybe you have as well, but also gave me a very humbling lesson in the midst of it. So we're in the left lane, cars are beginning to back up behind us, and I can see on the passenger side mirror, there's those drivers that want to get up as far as they can before they have to get over. And this drives me nuts, I don't know why, um, but... I see this truck that's coming, and he is flying. He's just trying to get up as far as he is. And some reason, he decides he's going to see if I'm going to be generous. And so I said out loud, I don't think so, pal. And I'm, I'm, I'm holding that steering wheel, and, and he is right in the spot where, like, so there's our car and the car in front of us, and he is right in the middle hoping to get over. And I, I, I made eye contact, eye contact once, but then I just turned and, nope, not, not today right? And so he turns his blinker on as if I didn't know what he wanted to do. And I, I said out loud again in the car on our family vacation, really, do you think you need to get over? What gave you the clue that you had to get over into this lane? And so I did not budge. I was not going to give up my spot. I'm convinced that these type of drivers are the, the kids 
from school that cut in the drinking fountain line. You know, so now they're an adult and they're doing it this way in their cars. But as we go, we're getting closer where he's going to have to get over. And so he falls back behind us, and the person behind us decides that they're going to let him in. And so this guy, I'm sure, is very pleased that he has this big fancy truck that he's having to pay all this money on diesel fuel, and he gets behind us, and I'm thinking, good grief. And then I remember on our car there is a Harvest Hill sticker that says, love God, love people. And this guy is stuck behind me for the next 10, 15 minutes, and I'm thinking, all right. And I hear God just speak to my heart and say, grace. And uh, I, I felt miserable. I felt like a horrible Christian. I don't know how Jesus would handle road rage today or, or construction sites. I'm sure that is not what Jesus would have done. I'm sure he would have been more Christ-like than I was in that moment. But there were warning signs, right? I knew what was coming. I knew I had to get over. That guy had to have seen him as well. I mean, they were there. Well, here in Matthew 6, Jesus is going to give us some warning signs. Things to watch out for, things to be aware of what could be coming down the road, what is going to be lying ahead. And so this morning our focus is going to be in verses 19 through 24, where Jesus is going to warn us about types of treasures. He's going to warn us about how those treasures impact our ability to be spiritually perceptive. And he's going to warn us about the danger and where our allegiance lies and why that matters. And so let's read our passage. Our focus this morning is warning for the heart. The word of the Lord says, Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So we have some warning signs here. And the way we're going to approach this passage is we're going to take a three-step approach in asking three questions. And our three questions this morning are going to be, how is our heart, where is our focus, and who or what do we serve? Our first question comes in verses 19 through 21. How is our heart? In Scripture, God tells us something very clear that I think sometimes we forget. On this planet, there are only two types of people. God doesn't break it down by gender or nationality or the color of your skin or what political allegiance you have. There are two types of people on this planet. There's the saved and the unsaved. That's how God breaks it down. And what Jesus does here now is he breaks it down even further that all people are seeking after two types of treasures. There's an earthly treasure and there's a heavenly treasure. Now, for sake of our passage, Jesus is speaking to God's people. So he's speaking to us today as believers. Verse 19 is a negative warning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 20, then, is the positive action. First, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The word lay up, which you find in verse 19 and 20, it means to store, to accumulate, to stockpile, or to hoard something. 
Jesus is not saying in this passage that we shouldn't have things. Jesus is warning us in the things that we might treasure. And everyone here treasures something. You may treasure sports. You may treasure your job. You may treasure money, your retirement package. We may treasure our family. We may treasure our marriage or our relationship. We can treasure shoes and jewelry and clothes and all sorts of things. And and Jesus is telling us we've got to keep these in the proper place. I've come across many believers who actually worship their marriage more than they do their Messiah. And they put that first before everything. And Jesus says, you have to be aware. Here's your warning. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. And referring to earthly treasures, Jesus is referring primarily to possessions. The word treasures points to a main object in life, something that we prize, something that we value over everything else, something that our mind is constantly on. That's a treasure. That's something we are focused. And so the warning here tied to, is tied to the first two commandments. Where God tells his people and tells us still today, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. In the Old Testament, God gave his people that commandment because he was getting ready to send them into a land of people who practiced idolatry. They worshiped false gods. And so God was telling his people, he was warning them, look, that's what they're going to do. You are not to associate with them and you are not to do the things they are doing. And so he warns them through through a command. And they still hold true today. Jesus' point here carries the same tone, that we are either going to be materialistic or Christ-centric. The society that Jesus ministered in his time was not much different than the world we live in today. People sought after power. They sought after prestige. They sought after achievements and money and wealth and status. The things that the world promises to provide, though, Jesus tells, these are only temporary They're temporary earthly treasures compared to the heavenly treasures. Jesus is going to elaborate on this a little bit more in verse 19 with two sources that come against these earthly treasures. The words for moth and rust, they're combined together. The word for rust can actually be read as worm or vermin. So they didn't have cars that rusted, so that's what the word actually means. I don't know if you've ever had a mouse in your house. It's one of the most aggravating things you can have when you discover that you've got a vermin running around in the house. You've got to figure out, one, how did it get in? Two, what has it gotten into? And three, how do I get rid of it? So you've got to figure out entry points and exit points and what sort of things you like to eat. And I'm worried that Abby, our daughter, is leaning way too hard towards PETA. Because a couple years ago, we had a mouse in our house, and it got into a bag of pistachios. And so Abby... Named the mouse Pistachio. And she would ask me every morning, how's Pistachio doing? And I would reply, he's still alive. Not for long. And then, so Abby tried to reason with me. Because this is the heart she has. She goes, well, well, Dad, or she calls me Daddy, um, it's cold outside. You know, it's winter. And so he needs a warm place to be. And he's obviously hungry. Why don't we just catch it and I'll keep it as a pet? And so I, I looked at Abby, and, and I, I love my daughter dearly, dearly and so I, I, I told her, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give this mouse one of the best memories it ever had. It'll be his last, 
but it'll be the best memory he's ever had. And so I put some peanut butter. It always does a trick for me in the mousetrap. And lo and behold, we came home from church one day, and there's good old pistachio um, beheaded. But anyway, um, so Jesus here is bringing up this imagery of moth and rust, these vermin, these things that get in that we have no control over. His original audience would have understood this idea of this moth and worm and vermin. In Jesus' time, clothes were a sign of wealth, but moth, moths would eat the clothes. Most people only owned a tunic or an, or an undergarment and a coat or an outer garment. So if you had multiple pairs of clothes, you were considered well-off and wealthy. If your pantry was stockpiled with food and you didn't have to go out and get food every single day, you were considered wealthy. The problem is, is these uninvited intruders would break into a house and they would destroy things. That, that word for destroy means to render invisible, to disfigure. This is what Jesus is saying about earthly treasures, that we can try to maintain them, but the reality is it's out of our control. And I think we understand this in our own day-to-day when we think about electronics. You know, TVs, computers, phones, video game systems, eventually they all lose their original prestige. You know, if you watch TV at all, you can notice that the cell phone providers want you to update your phone almost every year or at least every other year. Get that new phone, trade it in, get something better. Eventually, as we experience here, projectors eventually slowly fade. Computers eventually slowly die, and they have to be replaced. TVs, man, they get bigger every single year, and they get better, higher-quality pictures. Video game systems for you students, they get renewed about every five years. Every five years, a new system comes out with new technology. The point Jesus is making here, it is a waste of our time. It is a waste of our money, our resources, our effort to pursue after the things of this world because they are not meant to last. On top of that, thieves break in and steal. That word for break in in verse 19, it literally means to dig out. See, houses in this day, weren't, they didn't have like a foundation like we have today, like a cement or you know, a crawl space. Like they were literally built on the dirt, on the ground. And so what thieves would do, they would just dig a hole on the outside of the house and they would reach under and take whatever they could grab. They would dig out. So Jesus wanting us to understand this warning about earthly treasures. Earthly treasures are destroyed. They decay. They can be stolen. But here's what he says, not heavenly ones. Heavenly ones cannot be touched by earthly bandits. Craig Bloomberg writes that spiritual treasure, heavenly treasure, should be defined as holiness of character, obedience to all of God's commandments, souls won for Christ, and disciples nurtured in the faith. Jesus' audience in this day would understand heavenly treasures would be kind deeds and generosity towards other individuals. Again, Jesus is not saying that having possessions is a bad thing. The Bible does not condemn having wealth and being well off. In 1 Timothy, we read that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice, God does not say money is evil. We'll deal with the word money here in a little bit in verse 24. 
But God says that money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And where does that root begin? The root begins in our heart. The word for heart in verse 21 implies our focus, our desire, our conscience, the center of our life, our wishes. So that's why we have asked the question, how is our heart? What does our heart get focused on? What is desire of our heart? What is the driving force in our life? What is the thing that we continually think on? The book of Proverbs chapter 3, we're told to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge Him and, and He will make your path straight. In Proverbs chapter 4, we're told to keep your heart with all vigilance. That word keep means to guard it, for from it flow the springs of life. The book of Psalms in chapter 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus is going to teach later that we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We have to make sure our heart is seeking the right treasure, and we can do that by looking back into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, where Jesus delivers this instruction, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That satisfied word means to be filled Our hearts are to have a yearning, a passion, a desire for righteousness, a desire for the things of God. And so when we examine our heart, we have to examine our priorities. Daniel Akin points out that earthly treasures may leave us in this life, but it is certain we will leave earthly treasures in our death. Therefore, life is a series series of decisions and choices, and these decisions shape our character and they guide our destiny. That phrase, he says, do not lay up, it's in the Greek present imperative. It means to do something constantly. We are to constantly be laying up treasures in heaven. That is to be our heart's desire. Our second question this morning, where is your focus? To do this, we'll look in verses 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Do you notice in verse 19 through 20, the focus is on the heart. Now in verses 22 through 23, it shifts to another body part in the eye. Now most people have two eyes, or at least places where two eyes should be. But Jesus very purposefully uses the singular here when speaking of the eye. And so this image is easy to unpack. We either have a healthy eye, which means that we are spiritually perceptive and it's clear, or we have an unhealthy eye, which means that it is bad and spiritually blind. The word lamp in some versions is also read as window, which helps capture the illustration that Jesus is doing. He's saying the eye is the window to the soul. And the use of the singular for eye points that it is a single focus. It's a single-minded devotion. It's something that is undivided. So it's the heart that drives us towards our desires, but it is the eye which illuminates how we see and view those things. And Jesus is teaching there are some of us here who have a bad eye. Though we may be in the light, our attention keeps getting focused on the things in the darkness. And what is this light and darkness? Well, in John chapter 3, Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. 
And Jesus wraps up that conversation by saying this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. The opening of the gospel, John points to Jesus being the light. And Jesus declared in his own ministry, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of life. So the only way that our body, which is speaking about our entire being, our life, can be in the light and be full of light is if it is fully remaining focused on the light of the world who is Jesus Christ. Jesus knows that this world has many distractions, many things that can pull our attention away from him. This is why we're told in the book of Hebrews we are to look, looking continually to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have to keep our focus on him because if we become undivided in our loyalty or I will lead us to have a body full of darkness. That phrase, full of darkness, or how great is the darkness, means a life void of God. So right here, Jesus is given a very big warning sign. When we wander away from the good shepherd, when we step off the straight and narrow path, we will find the opposite of God. What does that mean? We won't have peace. We won't have confidence. We won't have assurance, we won't have strength, wisdom, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. Experiences too many times with God's people, and and, and even in my own life, my, my focus has become distracted. I begin to get focused on something else. My eye begins looking at something else and focused on things of this world. And what happens? We do it to a point where we wonder, Why do we feel this way? Why do I have this unsettledness in my life? We ask questions like, how did I get myself into this sort of mess? And Jesus points out in verse 23, if our focus becomes divided, if our devotion of God becomes tainted, we are heading towards a great darkness, which means a deep and terrible place void of the things of God. One commentator writes that if a man divides his interests and tries to focus on both God and possessions, he has no clear vision and will live without clear orientation or direction. Life not focused on God's claim and command is lost in spiritual darkness. So these are two huge warnings in these verses. How is our heart? Where is our focus? And Jesus doesn't hold back. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, who will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Here's the truth just in this one verse everyone serves something. Everyone serves something. We have to ask ourselves who or what do we serve? In the Old Testament, the word serve was synonymous with worship. It was synonymous with fear or reverence towards God. It was synonymous with love. In the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6, it, is, it says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Many of us are familiar with the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your might. What Jesus is saying here in verse 24 is we cannot live with one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. It's impossible. That's what no one means. It is impossible. So we have to make the choice. Because God's not going to force us. We have to make the choice. Who are we going to serve? Who are we going to love? Who are we going to worship? Who are we going to have a reverence and fear towards? I think we hear that and verbally we wouldn't disagree. But the reality is this is the wrestling match we're in. This is the spiritual battle land and who we're going to serve, who we're going to worship, who or what we're going to love. Verse 24 is the key to answering our first two questions. We will be a slave to something or someone. We will work for, we will be controlled by, we will tie our allegiance to something or someone. It is our natural instinct because this is how God created us. He created us to serve him. He created us to worship Him and to love Him and to have an adoration and fear towards Him. This is why the Bible says that we are to be slaves of righteousness, which means slaves of God. That word money at the end of verse 24, the word actually means mammon. It doesn't speak of a dollar bill. It speaks of material possessions. Again, Jesus is not condemning material possessions. He is just warning and condemning our loyalty and devotion to material possessions and property. So here's a great question we can ask when it comes to possessions and property. Do we serve our possessions and properties, or do we allow our possessions and properties to serve God? And the easiest way to look at that as starting spot is, how's your tithe? Because money is a thing we worship. It's a thing we fear about not having enough. How's your tithe? Are you trusting God through your tithe? Do you trust God with everything he gives you in tithing that? That includes tax refunds. You should tithe on your tax refunds. I think that should be obvious. And it's not that we're having an issue here with money, but that's, that's one way we know, okay, am I serving possessions or am I serving God? Because am I trusting him with what he has given me because he owns it all anyway? Jesus says we can't do both. It will never work. That word hate there in verse 24 means to detest. The word despise means to disrespect or belittle. So the warning that we have here is if we try to love God and we try to love the things of the world, we're eventually going to give one higher importance. We're eventually going to be more loyal to one than the other. This world and all its possessions, here's what it's trying to do, is trying to make a claim on our hearts that has already been claimed by God. And so we have to continue to trust Him and serve Him and love Him. The contrast in verse 24 between hate and love is to point to the choosing of one over the other. So if we don't guard our heart and we don't keep our focus on the Savior, we will be in danger of serving something which cannot give us our heart's desire. How do we know if we've done this or in the danger of doing it? I think to answer a question, we need to ask another one. What or who do we turn to when life gets hard? When you're going through a crisis in life, What do you turn to for relief? When the storms of life come, what's your outlet? Is it God? Are you devoted to Him? Or is it something else? 
The cry of verse 24 is this. God must be the utmost importance in our life, and his ways must be the one desire we have. Now, if we're here and we're wondering, why in the world we do it? I mean, that seems so hard. That goes against everything in our culture, everything in our world, almost everything we've ever been taught growing up. Well, here's why we make God the utmost importance in our one desire. Because God made us his utmost importance. And he had a desire for us that he sent his one son to die for us, to rise again, that we might be forgiven for our sins, be given eternal life, which we don't deserve. And so we are just reciprocating what God has already shown to us. To live a life devoted to him because he was so devoted to us. To live a life focused on him because the Bible reveals that God has been focused on you and me since the beginning of time. Maybe the question here this morning is, is God your God and is Jesus your Savior? And this is the gospel that we proclaim. It's called the good news. That God has created you for a relationship with him. That is your sole purpose in life, is to be in a relationship with God. And the only way you can be in a relationship with God is if your sins are forgiven. And your sins can't be forgiven by coming to church. Your sins can't be forgiven by putting money in the offering plate or reading your Bible or singing Christian songs. Your sins can only be forgiven through Jesus Christ alone. He paid the cost for the sins of the world. He died on the cross. They placed him in a tomb. He rose three days later so all might be forgiven and be given eternal life. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to confess Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you've yet to tell God that you need to be forgiven, I'm going to be standing down here and this is a time of invitation. I'm going to ask as people sing, you step out of the aisle and you come down and let me know and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. But maybe like me this week as I was going through this passage, the reality came and said, you have not been focused. You have not been devoted. You have not been loyal to God alone. He has not been your supreme and only choice. Maybe you just need to ask for forgiveness. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask our worship guys to come back up and lead us in a song. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for giving us these warnings that if we don't heed them, it'll tear us apart. And we'll end up in places we don't mean to be. We don't want to be, and you don't want us to be there. Father, we want to be in your presence. We want to bring you glory in you alone. As a church, as individuals, as families. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for dying and rising again that we might be forgiven. And Lord, if there's someone here that needs to accept you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that your spirit would just press upon their hearts in this moment and reveal that. We ask you to continue to be glorified in this time as we respond to your word. So we're not just hearers, but we're doers. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.